front straightaway. Damon Gravel in the middle. Sells he slides up the racetrack. Can't make the pass, but he's got to run down the back straightaway. And Gio Sells he takes the lead. Sells he's got the lead off turn number four. Gravel's not going to go away. He's right there. Wolf has passed Raymer for third. Tim Schaefer is up to fifth. Raymer and Wolf side by side. Raymer back to third. Down the back straight away. But Gio Selzy is out in front and he's pulling away. Selzy streaking away from the field. Gravel second. Wolf third. Schaefer fourth. And Raymer fifth. Giovanni Selzy looking to do what few have ever done on Williams Grove Speedway with their first ever four-chance score here. Gravel closing in now off turn number four. Traffic, heavy traffic in front of the leader. Gravel took two cents of a second off the lead the last time by. Selzy having difficulty getting by the 39 of Corey Haas. They'll come to the two-to-go signal. Gravel definitely making up the ground on Gio Selzy into turn four. Two laps left in this one. Lap car between Selzy and Gravel off turn number two. Gio Selzy trying to hang on for another half mile. Selzy to the cushion in turn one. Gravel falls him upstairs. Back straight away for the final time. They cross under the bridge. Gravel's going to have one last shot at him in three and four, but there's a slower car on the inside of the speedway. Selzy out of turn four. He'll win his first ever four-tenth start at Williams Grove. I really don't know what to say here. This is, uh, this is awesome. I just said, can you believe this? You want to tell the fans what you said? Oh, God, no. No, I don't think I ever believe this one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back in to another episode of the Motorsports Dig Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McFadden, and we have a special show lined up for you here today. Going to get into that here in a moment, but currently I'm sitting in the Pocono Raceway media lot watching some Xfinity Series cars roll around the two-and-a-half-mile triangular racing surface. I'm in, in the Poconos this weekend for the NASCAR races as well as the ARCA race on Friday night, so looking forward to bringing some post-race coverage and some race coverage and some interviews uh, in our next episode, which should be released uh, around Sunday night to early Monday morning, depending on uh, how everything shakes out this weekend. Uh, don't want to say the dreaded R word, but if you know what I'm talking about, then you definitely know. So, a special show lined up for you here today. We have Giovanni Selzy coming on the podcast here in a bit. I spoke with the 17-year-old sensational wheel man two weeks ago at Williams Grove Speedway when the Word of Outlaws came to town. And let me tell you, this kid has it together. He is the complete package. First of all, the racing talent is through the roof. Uh, big check mark there for that. The kid can flat-out wheel. Check out his racing resume. Just watch him race. Uh, watch him wheel anything that he drives in. It is mighty impressive. Number two, his personality. His personality is uh, extremely impressive for a 17-year-old. He knows how to engage with fans. He knows how to engage with with sponsors and partners. And within his race team, he is well-respected as a 17-year-old. He definitely knows how to connect with the general public. And number three, his racing knowledge and how the car works 
is is astonishing to be honest with you. I mean, he knows every nut and bolt on the car. Uh, he used to crew chief for his brother Dominique when he was 12 and 13 years old. Now he helps his current car owner Bernie Stupkin uh, building his own race cars. He essentially builds his own race cars now with with Indy Race Parts. And uh, since since his his team that he currently drives for now is slightly undermanned, I guess you want to call it, uh, he basically makes his own adjustments on the car. And uh, it's really impressive with just how he speaks about the race car and uh, his overall knowledge. We are going to hear from Gio in just a bit. But first, we are going to hear from my Turn 5 Turnaround colleague and a good friend, Shay Judy. I had a really good conversation with Shay at Port Royal Speedway this past weekend uh, during a rain delay. Caught some time with Shay to uh, pretty much chat about racing and chat about uh, his journey from a a novice racing fan to now being called the race chaser, essentially. Uh, He chases races. Uh, The name speaks for itself. He isn't afraid to travel a good bit of ways to witness a quality uh, door-banging epic race. And he has a lot of connections on the racing scene. He also used to serve as a crew member for Kenny Pettyjohn. Uh, he also helps out, I believe, he is a uh, on-the-fly crew member as well for some other race teams in the region. Say, if a local crew is down a man or needs some help, Shea isn't afraid to step in there and lend a hand with his racing knowledge. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Shay Judy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I am now joined by the race chaser himself. I think that's what they call him around here, Shay Judy, my Turn 5 Turnaround colleague. Shay, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? How are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing great, man. We're here sitting up at the Port Royal Speedway press box, looking at the track crew, working feverishly to uh, prep the track. They're grading the track. They're running it in after we had uh, about, well, we're technically still in a rain delay, but... Uh, the rain shower was about 20 minutes, so we're up here now. We're just we're just going to talk about some racing. And uh, but first of all, Shay, this is a pretty big weekend for you, right? Um, yes, it is actually. Uh, 17 years ago today, I had attended my very first ever race, and uh, that was at the uh, Coke 600 in Charlotte. And um, I'll tell you what, you know, I was 10 years old, you know, when, when that happened. And um, if you would have told me, you know, back then that I would, you know, go to multiple races in about I think it's like twelve different states I've actually been to races in total between NASCAR and yeah. uh, dirt. So um, you know, seventeen years later, and being able to know people from like twenty different states is um, I would have looked at you and just said I can only dream of that. And sometimes I had to pinch myself because uh, that actually is the case. Um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate, very blessed uh, to be able to um, you know, given the opportunity to go to, to a lot of these race racetracks and um, you know, be able to meet a lot of people. And so I'm forever grateful. I just love your passion for the sport too, man. I mean, you're just willing to drive around and 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 to visit and 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 see all these racetracks and all forms of motorsports. Where did this passion kind of come from? Well, it, it's kind of you know a little bit you know kind of always been there. Um, I was a big Tony Stewart fan and still still am today. Okay. And uh, one of the things that really kind of stood out to me about Tony was that um, you know Tony didn't you know he'll race anything. You know, it doesn't matter if it's asphalt, dirt, if it's got four wheels or two wheels. Um, you know, he wants to get, you know, in it and drive it. And um, I watched his documentary um, back in 
when it came out back about 16 or 15, 16 years ago. And I just started watching it and just to see his passion and everything else. I was just like, you know, that's actually kind of cool. I wouldn't mind, you know, um, you know, going to races consistently. And um, at that time, you know, I was still a big uh, NASCAR fan. I mm-hmm. uh, really hadn't, hadn't dabbled much on the dirt side whatsoever. Okay. And um, I actually attended my very first dirt race was back at Hagerstown, the last World of Outlaw late model race they ran there at Hagerstown Speedway back in 2012. Really? Yep. Tim McCready was the team was the, that, was the winner that night. And um, after that, I was like, okay, this is actually, you know, pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, I went up to Williams Grove for the uh, World of Outlaw Sprint Car Race and uh, liked it up there. And then the race that actually had sealed it for me was um, my first time I ever went to the Winchester Speedway. Um, it was a, uh, it was um, one of the uh, battles they had going on uh, for the lead uh, in the late model feature. And uh, it, was, it was a battle between Kenny Pagejohn and uh, Tommy Armel, and it was a photo finish. And, I mean, how, how else, you know, would you like to have, you know, your, your first time at a racetrack and you, have, real, and you have, you know, that photo finish? It's incredible. For a feature, yeah. And so after that, I was, I was like, okay, I know where I'm going to be at, you know, every Saturday night. And that's kind of where, you know, really started um, my passion for dirt racing, you know, really started to uh, b- begin. I'm no historian, and I'm trying to learn as, as much as I can. But was that back before they had, like, really high-tech timing and scoring? Did they have to go to... An actual photo for a, like, photo finish? Uh, no, no. They actually had a time of scoring around that okay. point. Um, I know there was a little bit of a um, little bit of a question on um, exactly, you know, who um, had won that race because um, apparently, you know, one of the guys, you know, had the transponders on uh, very, very um, <laughs> in different spot all the way up, to tw- up towards the front and, um, and somebody else, you know, really didn't. And so... Uh, looking at the picture wise, it showed that you know it looked like it was going to be this guy here, but yet the time of scoring said this guy. So I mean, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. You've seen a bunch of races since then, obviously. What is the uh, the most epic race that you've seen in person? Is it that race? Um, oh boy, I got to think about that it's a, one. It's a big question. It is a big question. Um, my gosh, what's what's the first race that 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 just pops in your mind when you think of epic race that I've seen? Um, let's see, probably one of the. Um, epic races that comes to mind for me is um is actually um here at this racetrack here the port royal speedway okay. speed palace um a couple of races that do come to mind is the uh 2016 butch Renninger memorial race okay uh for the uh, late models and um i'll tell you what that day it was like watching taldega on dirt like everybody was just flying it was flying but also everyone you know was was, was all together in pack racing Packed, yeah and uh, Greg Sirely was leading the race, and he went to turn three, and he jumped the cushion a little bit, and he fell back to sixth. And uh, he actually had to he had, he had to fight back for that for that for the lead, and he ended up winning the race that day. But um, I'll tell you, he had I mean he had to put you know all of his talent um, had to show that day because it was it was one of those you know really fast racetracks, and that's a track that was one race that, that sticks out to me. Um, another one. Um, Say, is, is, is also here as well, and uh, that would have to be the first ever Lucas Oil race they ran here uh, back in 2017. Um, yes. Rick Eckert won the race that day, yep. and um, I'm not sure if you were here or not for that race. but um, That's all the highlights. But uh, the cushion here, as you look down towards turn number one, yep. um, I know our listeners, you know, they can't see right here, but um, if mm-hmm. you guys can just kind of picture a little bit here, um, if you picture the Speedway, about where they're running the track in right now, you see where the where the berm is right now, right up against the guardrail. Yep, that's actually where uh, the cushion was that night. And it that was cushion all is backed up. It was ba- straight it was, to the wall. It was way way up there. Like you had the option of either going, you know, to the top or the bottom. 
Um, a lot of guys, you know, prefer running the top. And I can tell you how many guys, you know, went went high going to turn one, and then when you went got in the middle, right about where the sign says um, where it says port on the port rail sign. Next thing you know, you saw those guys just dive down to the bottom. It was an unbelievable race, unbelievable night. Um, and also, uh, Rick Eckert, who's one of my uh, favorite uh, yeah. outlaw drivers, um, right. I've actually gotten the, the chance to really kind of hang out with him and, uh, awesome. and his crew. Um, you know, really, really awesome guys. And especially, you know, when you get some of these guys, you know, you know that have been racing for 30-plus years and have you know, been on the, the now default um, Stacker 2 Series, the Star Series, um, you know, competed with you know the World of Outlaw Tour, and also with Lucas Oil in the um, Ultimate in the Ultimate Series as well. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to be able, you know, to kind of you know um, listen to him and you know want to get you know getting his input, um, you know, on some of the um, on some of the stuff that's going on in racing now. Um, you know, some in some areas, you know, it looks like um, you know racing struggling in some areas, and other areas. Yeah. It appears, you know, that racing is actually doing very, very well. It is, and uh, we're very fortunate enough. You know, we have, um, we have, um, you know, multiple racetracks that we can go to. You know, on the weekends, a lot of tracks, a lot of options, right? Yep, a lot of options around here. And then uh, you, you go some, you know, somewhere else. You know, like say, like out west or whatever, and your options are, you know, start getting, you know, fewer, 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 and then you have to um, start traveling more. Yeah. So, um, you've been pretty you played pretty much every role on the racing scene i guess ex- except a driver right you, you were a crew member for kenny pettyjohn is that right yes i was i was a crew member for kenny pettyjohn for about three seasons from 2015 okay. uh is last year so um I, I was able to get uh one win with him uh he won the uh, uh appalachian late model speed week series championship back in 2016 and uh, i was i was actually i was actually able to uh, be a part of that Awesome, uh, deal man. that was pretty cool that's, that's sweet yep what uh what did you do for him but uh, how would you kind of walk through maybe a normal race day would could you like walk that through um it's pretty much you know um, one of those deals where it really kind of you know begins back at the shop and uh because kane lived all the way out in delaware mm-hmm. and all of his crew guys you know were living you know in new jersey baltimore and then me being all the way out here in uh, west virginia and so um kenny pretty much did everything himself and his help really didn't show up until we got to the racetrack. And so, um, as crew guys, you know, we go, we would unload the race car, um, whatever, um, you know, we, you know, that we needed needed to check, um, you know, whether it be, you know, making sure that the shocks were right, uh, mm-hmm. make sure we had the right the right gears, you know, in it, right, uh, for that. And um, <clears throat> also, um, you also you also had to prep the tires as well. And also, depending, you know, on what the race night is. Uh, then you also have to go from there to try to figure out. It's like, okay, how do we want to, you know, set this race car up? And of course, um, if you ever think that you might have something, you know, kind of figured out uh, on what you want to try to do, you know, for the seat race, you know, for the, for, the, for your night, uh, once you go out for hot laps and you come back in, um, it's either going to be, you know, you're giving your crew, if you're a driver, you're giving the crew a thumbs up or you're giving a thumbs down and just saying, no, we got to fix this car. This thing's the biggest <laughs> piece of junk I've ever Throw been in. Throw the kitchen sink at it. That, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But do you miss that? Do you get more enjoyment as a fan? Uh, what, how has your perspectives changed over the years? Well, as a crew member, you know, you're kind of you're, you're kind of tied down. Um, at least I kind of felt like it, you know, just from my personal experience, um, you know, it might be different for other guys. But um, for me, it was kind of more like, um, you know, you make sure that you that the car is taken care of. 
um, that, that you had to do all your work for it. And plus, I mean, you got to think about it. You, know, you have some of these guys, you know, that are, are paid crew members. <sighs> right. And so Highly they're skilled, paid, yep. cr- paid crew mm-hmm. members. That's that's yeah. why they're paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so those guys there, you know, I mean, like, you know, one of their jobs, you know, is to kind of you know, be around the race car. Yep. And I know there's a couple of crew guys that are out on the uh, Lucas Oil World of Outlaw tours. And uh, their their jo- their job is to pretty much, you know, be wherever that race car is at. They got to be right there with it. So um, and they're consumed in that field, right? They're not having to man. I mean, probably have to manage some other things, but that is their job. Absolutely, yes. That that is one hundred percent their job. Um, I know at least one of the guys. Um, he was telling me that whenever that race car is outside of the trailer, um, he's got to be, you know, present. Like he's got to be, you know, somewhere yeah. somewhere around. If it's on track, you know, he's usually, um, you know, holding uh, the spotter sticks. Um, you know, down in the infield or over, you know, wherever um, he can, you know, be able to be at the where his driver can see him. Mm-hmm. So um, to answer your question for me, um, I kind of miss it a little bit on one, on one perspective. And then their perspective, you know, I kind of like, I kind of enjoy, you know, um, you know, kind of walking through the pit area. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, you know, I've been very grateful to be able to meet a lot of, uh, a lot of people. And so now it's kind of more like um, I show up at a racetrack and, it's like yeah, there is a racing going on, and so we got you know lo- lo- you know a lot of stuff going on there. So it gets very easy to get sidetracked, but um, normally I try my best to um, you know kind of keep myself you know all, all everything into perspective. Right, and now you're with Turn Five Turnaround, obviously. Shay, how did that co- all come together? Uh, just meeting Danny and and just getting to know him, and then now coming on board. Well, to quote um, the late uh, Barney Hall, it was dumb luck, and. Uh, <laughs> Just so I had to be, you know, there at the right place, at the right time, and uh, I knew Danny, you know, uh, just from you know being at Hagerstown Speedway and uh, the other racetracks um, in the area, and he was the one that started Turn Five uh, about I think it's like ten or eleven years ago, and uh, his passion, you know, was just to kind of you know, just interview the drivers and um, you know just kind of give you know people you know the perspective of you know what all goes on at the track behind the scenes on the other side of the catchments, and so I mean, um, <clears throat> so the way how I got kind of started on it was um i was on the show once before about two years ago okay and um we, and i was help i was trying to help him uh promote uh this race the bob walker memorial and also uh chris eaton the uh, promoter of the uh mason dixon series was there as well so we got to talk about that and um it was about july of last year um i've been talking to uh danny a couple times about uh, because he was um you know trying to find you know someone you know for guest wise mm-hmm. uh to come on the show I, I had always told him that, you know, if you needed, you know, if you needed, you know, somebody to kind of help, you know, be there to try to help him, um, um, you know, with, with ideas on the show, you know, that I'd, I'd be more than happy, you know, to, to join, uh, you know, to help him out. And um, the next thing you know, uh, he looks up at me and says, uh, well, I hope you enjoyed uh, tonight's episode that you were on because you're going to be, uh, <laughs> you're going to be joining the team now. So I was like, okay. <laughs> he kind of threw you the jersey on. Like on the spot, right? <laughs> uh, not quite, but um, <laughs> but yeah, pretty much. Kind of did. Kind of did. Yeah, right. you kind of did. Kind of didn't, but yeah. <laughs> this is Ryan Smith, driver with the number seventy-two Red Robin Racing four ten wing sprint car for Hefner Racing, and you're listening to the Motorsports Dig. Well, there you have it. That was our interview with the race chaser himself, Shay Judy. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. 
And now it's time to roll right along with our interview with Gio Selzy. And let me tell you, this kid has had an impressive month of May. So let me just run it down for you real quick. That was He went from the the C main. Now this was on Saturday night uh, during the Morgan Cup. He had to go to the C main. He won the C main, started 11th in the B main, then finished fourth to barely qualify for the main event. And then in the A main, he drove from 24th to finish 7th. So essentially, he passed 24 cars that night, and there were only, I want to say, not even maybe 40 cars uh, that night, if I can recall. So he passed pretty much uh, 75% of the field. I think that's right. I can't really do math, but yeah, he passed... 24 cars that night in route to a 7th place finish. Now, that's if you count uh, the B main and then the A main as well. Uh, So, super impressive. The kid can drive. And that was only his, I want to say, fourth race at Williams Grove. Uh, If you don't know by now, he won his first ever 410 sprint car race at Williams Grove. That was the audio you heard to lead off the show. And then the very following week... He won the opening night of the Patriot Nationals at the dirt track at Charlotte on Friday night. Didn't qualify great, 8th of 31st, but he pounced on race leader Kyle Larson in traffic while he was searching across the very slick surface, and he took advantage of a Kyle Larson bobble coming off turn two with six laps to go. So Gio Selzy took over the top spot, led the last six laps on Friday night at the dirt track at Charlotte to pick up his second career World of Outlaws win. He said post-race, I think that one solidified me as not just a fluke winner. The track was slick. This was a win where you had to run a good race to pass Larson, too. That was a pretty big deal. Yes, it was, Gio. That was a pretty big deal. And then for the rest of the weekend, he rebounded from a late race flat tire to finish fifth in the Saturday night portion of the Patriot Nationals, and then followed that up with another podium finish, a third-place finish on Monday during the Memorial Day spectacle. And it goes without saying that Gio Selzy, uh, his win at Williams Grove, uh, marked him as the youngest Word of Outlaws feature winner ever uh, in the series history with his National Open prelim night win last September. I was there that that night. Uh, absolutely just madness, first of all, because you're rooting for at, at least the uh, inner race fan inside of you. You're rooting for a PA Posse driver to pull it off because of everything that had happened with the late Greg Hotnet leading up to that event. And then also you have the Word of Outlaws there. So you're expecting one of the two fields to pull off a win. But here comes this 16-year-old California kid uh, who doesn't fit into either of those categories, and he pulls off the win as a 16-year-old on the National Open Prelim night for his first ever Word of Outlaws win and his first ever start at Williams Grove. That is unheard of, but he did it. He pulled it off. So let's get right into it. Here is Giovanni Selzy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Motorsports Dig. I'm your host, Kyle McFadden, and I'm now joined by Gio Selzy here at the Williams Grove Speedway. Gio, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Gio, last time you were here, like at the Grove, it turned out to be a pretty special, memorable, record-busting weekend for you, right? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely not uh, not expected coming in, kind of just uh, hoping to make the show and make some good laps, and 
ended up winning the prelim, so that was uh, definitely a dream come true. Yeah, and then like not only that, but you became the youngest Outlaws feature winner ever at 16 years old in the prelim night of the National Open. Seemed like you were strong off the truck that night. I was in the infield for that race just because of everything that had happened with Greg Hodnett, and I'm usually like up in the press box to see the whole track, but that night I just wanted to kind of soak in the atmosphere, and all of a sudden I see this this like black and green 71 stalking David Gravel and, and then pass him. I was like, who is this kid? And I was just like looking you up and seemed like you like have a pretty strong track record, and we will get into that later, but... How would you kind of recollect that night? Yeah, I think to win one of the 27 lap features for Greg and obviously to have his car pace a field, um, you know, with his his wing on it, obviously after him passing away was pretty special. Um, you know, I looked up to him a lot, raced with him at Knoxville and raced with him a little bit this year or last year, obviously, um, you know, not being young and, and actually just kind of getting on, on o big ovals, like you said, and being in the Midwest his first year. So first time I kind of got to race with him was cool. And like I said, I looked up to him and, and know some people that work with him before. And it was a very, uh, very emotional night. Um, you didn't sink in till, till months after, obviously. And, and to do it with Bernie um, and kind of a little bit smaller team like we are to, to beat the, the posse and the outlaws um, was a very special night. Yeah, so with 15 laps to go, you were sitting behind David Gravel there, and it looked like Gravel took the high side going into turn one there, which you, like, obviously went where he wasn't. Got through turns one and two there really, really smooth, and, like, you and him were um, side to side going down the back stretch and barreling, like, in into turn three. Drove it hard in there and then cleared him. He didn't exactly cruise off <laughs> and kind of pull away from him, but you got it done. How would you kind of walk through the emotions of making that pass keeping yourself poised it seemed like you executed things yeah for sure um you know he picked the top and bottom he moved around his restart lanes a little bit and i was good either way um and, and that was the closest i was to him obviously going into one and i just peeled off uh you know went under him there obviously like you said was was side by side down the back stretch and and pulled the trigger into three and cleared him and then you know took his line away into one so um i knew we were good to start the race uh staying with him like that obviously he's run he's won the national open twice and been very successful here so um, you know, when you hang with a guy like that early in the race, you know that your equipment's good, and you start you have to start pushing, you know, sooner or later because you're going to run out of laps. So, um, you know, track was awesome, and then the car was awesome too. So it was uh, it was one of those nights where just everything kind of goes your way, um, and it didn't happen very often. Yeah, and, and and just like in Victory Lane, you got up there on top of your car. Is is that something that you're gonna? Is is that something that you've like always done? Uh, yeah, it just the wing dance kind of deal. Yeah, I did it in micro sprints a little bit, and it was just such a such an emotional moment. Just you got to get the highest point you can, and just pretty much yell uh -huh. at the top of your lungs. So, what kind of like fan reaction or just like overall reaction did you get after like winning that race? From oh man, people were awesome. They were all so supportive, and and we're all cool to see a young kid like me win um, in, a, in a place that doesn't happen very often. In my first four ten start here, so. Um, you know, like you said, my first year being in the Midwest, having some good finishes and, and never really being able to pull the trigger and, and capitalize on a win to win here and, and have it happen in a race like that. You know, like I said, here in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, Williams Grove at the National Open, you know, of, of all races. So um, it was cool. Everyone was really supportive. Everyone came by and, and kind of wanted to know who I was after that. So it was uh, definitely kind of put me on the map in a way and opened a lot of doors. We obviously know the posse versus the outlaws, huge rivalry, probably the biggest rivalry on the dirt scene. But you... As a 16-year-old as a California kid last year came in, and you obviously don't fit in, like, both of those, of those categories. categories. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to call you, like, an invader, you know, like, so to speak, but it uh, seems like you Cali guys need your own nickname, like <laughs> you and Larson, Kyle Larson, uh, Rico Abreu, your brother, probably missing some guys there, too. <laughs> 
do do you guys have your own like, like name, like the Cali clan or something? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, not really like that, but obviously me, Corey Elias, and Trey Starks from Washington, my brother. Um, whenever we're out here, we all kind of try and stick together and hang out and and because uh, obviously we're all far away from home and, and try and race out here as much as we can. So we all kind of try and stick together. So Yeah, so last year you won the Open, like the prelim night, and you obviously had to come right back the next night, the 56,000 to win show. But what was that next week or month like? How would you kind of go back over that? Yeah, obviously, you know, when you win a race like that, especially an outlaw race, then you want to win more and more and more, and you never stop. So, um, you know, obviously, when you, when you don't run as good the next night, it's, it's a bummer in a way. But going into the weekend with not very high expectations, you can't be mad with it. I think I ran 13th or something the next night. So, um, you know, can't be upset. Obviously, it's, it's one, of the, one of the four biggest races of the year in sprint car racing. So mm-hmm. uh, it was good. And, you know, the month after, we were strong all year. Um, had a top five in Charlotte World Finals. Um, you know, had a couple top five runs with the All-Stars, podium run with the All-Stars. So I um, kind of kept the momentum going and went to Australia, won a race in Australia, won the uh, President's Cup at Avalon. So that was a big win. Um, you know, just kind of kept chugging along all year and, and obviously started this year kind of the same way, a little bit slow. Um, so it's been good. You know, like you said, the, the month after was very, uh, like I said, it didn't sink in for a while. Okay. So, um, you know, obviously a race is big. It kind of, uh, it, it takes a minute to really realize what you did. It's incredible just some of the, the like the accolades that you just rattled off there. And uh, that was your first year last year on big ovals, right? The, yeah. The first, or your first crack at half mile tracks and on the 410 right. side. Yeah, it was, it was pretty or, much my first year really old enough to run with the outlaws right. and do stuff like that. So. And uh, so what was your like overall approach going in? What, what was your first experience like on a half mile in a 410 sprint? Oh, man, it was not good. Um, start, <laughs> started in Vegas with the outlaws, first outlaw race on a half mile at Vegas. So one of the faster places we go to and, and struggle big time, missed the show the first night and actually ripped the thing in half in the heat race the next night. So No kidding. Um, yeah, it was not, not a good start. Then went to California and struggled, struggled, struggled with, with Paul Silva in the 57 car. Then that deal dissolved, and, and Bernie obviously picked me up um, with this thing. And, and this thing is, is so easy to drive, and, and you know we, we, we have such a good relationship now with, with Bernie and Indy Race Parts. So mm-hmm. um, kind of coming to my own and, and learned a lot. Um, had a good weekend at Mansfield, which kind of set the whole whole tone of, of me and Bernie working together, um, and we've really never missed a beat since. Wow, and, and you were the youngest to ever qualify for the Knoxville Nationals big night. And on a prelim night, you were sandwiched between Larson and <laughs> Donnie Schatz there in the top five the same night that Greg Hodnett won. Yeah. And then you came here in September, you win the National Open prelim. It, like maybe the results didn't come like right away, but in the grand scheme, they kind of did, you know? Like, why do you think they Yeah, obviously they in came. sprint car racing, you, you know, you race so much, you race every weekend. So it's easy to kind of uh, get lost and you're going, 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 going and not, not realize how, how, if you're making progress or not. Um, and to win a couple races and like you said, finally, you know, finally break through there in a way. Um, and, and not really running so many races. If you look at the big, big scheme of things, only 40 or 50 races last year. So it feels like forever, but in, in a way, it's only only a handful of races. With these guys, have been racing for 10, 20, 30 years. So seems like you've been blessed with a lot of like influences yeah. to get to where you are now. Who are some of those names that you can like attribute to where? Like you are now, you aren't done, but you've come a long way. Yeah, I would say first off, Daniel Lasowski probably. He was good friends with my dad, or he still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, he kind of got us started in sprint car racing. Um, and he's still one of my biggest mentors today. Um, you know, from now, from when I was younger, obviously, and, and kind of uh, helped me out with racing and driving and, and everything really. And my dad, my dad too, was huge. Obviously, him drag racing and and all all kinds of big motorsport are very similar. Um, you know, with how teams work and how people work and being successful, it's, it's all the same. Um, with, with drag racing, sprint car racing, you know, NASCAR, whatever it is, it's all 
all the same aspect of things. You got to be successful and you got to get along. Um, and once you get your relationships good with the people around you and, and start uh, start making some moves and having good finishes, it just snowballs into a successful team. So speaking of your dad, so, and before we get too, too deep, like into this conversation, how does the son of a four-time NHRA champion end up in a sprint car? Uh, actually, Dan Lasowski would be would be the culprit of that. Um, there's okay. there's really no uh, there's really no kids classes in drag racing. So right. obviously there's junior dragsters, but you have to be 16 to really drag race anything, whether it's a car or whatever it is. So there really wasn't anything to bring us up. And in sprint car racing, there's midgets and and micros and outlaw carts and all kinds of you know lower level classes that get you into sprint car racing. Um, so we just kind of went that route, and I really never wanted to drag race. It's just so crazy. The speeds going 330 miles per hour to a, to 1,000 foot was just insane, and they blow up and crash and do all kinds of crazy stuff, which a sprint car is pretty insane too, but that was definitely <laughs> a one step crazier than, than a sprint car and, and just was decent at it when I started and, and just kind of stuck with it. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a broad question, but what was your childhood like just on and off the track? What stood out from it? Was it just like racing, racing, racing? In a way, yeah. Obviously, growing up around race cars, I think my dad, uh, I was born in 2001, so he retired in 2008, so I was seven years old when he retired drag racing. So I was very, very young whenever he still raced. So I don't remember a whole lot about it, but obviously going back now, you kind of kind of, you know, know how the pits are and just it brings back memories about it. So um, growing up at, at the drag racing scene and the sprint car racing scene in a way, um, you know, definitely what, what I have in my childhood and, and being around sprint cars and, and just racing in general, like you said. I never really played any other sports. You know, played baseball and stuff like that when I was younger, but everything always was, uh, you know, I'd miss a baseball game to go race, not not vice versa. So um, racing was definitely number one priority with, with my life, and, and it still is today. So you knew at a very young age I wanted to do something big as a driver i don't know like what it is but i want to be somebody like yeah. in the racing scene right? obviously seeing all my dad's success in racing and seeing how much he did and how hard he worked for it kind mm-hmm. of you know makes you want to do it as, as a kid and who is your favorite driver growing up can be on the nascar side maybe just in general who is who is your guy man that's tough um I would have to say Daniel Lasowski, definitely. Um, really? Obviously, him being so good at Knoxville and, and really everywhere, it's kind of funny to talk to him, you know, nowadays. It's like, hey, I'm going to, you know, somewhere in Nebraska. Oh, yeah, I won a World of Outlaw race there 10 years ago. You know, he's he's won everywhere. He's done everything. Um, he's been, you know, probably one of the best sprint car drivers in the world. So, definitely him. How well did the micro sprints prepare you? They were a very good stepping stone. Obviously, with, you know, they have four torsion bars, four shocks. They're very, very, you know, almost identical to the build of a sprint car. Um, you know, obviously smaller and slower, all those aspects of it. But, you know, outlaw carts, they don't have suspension. They're kind of a go-kart frame, so they are not mm-hmm. don't really give you much of the same feel as a sprint car. But, um, you know, the step from micros to sprint car or 360s was big. Obviously, you know, weighing almost twice as much, um, you know, having, you know, seven or eight times the horsepower was, was a big step. But um, I think that's probably the best stepping stone to get you into a 360. Mm-hmm. So I saw you had a Family Guy-themed helmet <laughs> made in 2013, right? Uh, but you would have been... 11 years old weren't you too young to watch that show <laughs> in a way you know obviously growing <laughs> up with my brother and, and being around older people it was kind of something me and my brother did thought it was funny um so that, that was a really cool helmet i had yeah yeah sure. do you still have the helmet i do yep uh, yeah i have all my helmets i'm i'm not one my i'm kind of the same as my dad i really don't want to give helmets away or suits i just that's something that mean a lot to me and okay. and especially looking back now how much you know how much smaller i was and you know i'm still still a small guy but um have my old helmets and my kids stuff was, was is cool to look at and you know see kind of where you came from What's your helmet now? Could you maybe describe it? You know, I'm actually going to have a really cool helmet coming out. Or I, okay. They got painted soon, so you'll see it in the next couple of days or so. Awesome. It's getting built at Bell, so you'll think it, it's really cool. It's kind of a cool-themed cool. helmet like that. So Good. Cool. So, <laughs> I guess you seem pretty, like, advanced, you know, as a kid growing up. And your brother Don didn't have a crew for a while, right, uh, in 
2014, and 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 you were his crew chief as a 12 year old, and and then you came back as his crew chief uh, in 2016 in Australia. Were you forced into that role, or did you kind of say, "Oh, I got this"? You know, in a way, whenever he ran sprint cars and I ran micros, you know, obviously the sprint car thing takes a lot more energy than micros do. So, um, you know, my racing was kind of put aside for a while, and his was kind of the primary racing. So I went and worked on his sprint car, and then Australia, it was just me and him. So that that was a, that was a really fun time. We had some success. Um, you know, went quick time with the Scott Darley, uh, made the classic. So, um, like I said, had some success. weren't weren't really setting the world on fire, but obviously me being so young and and him being young too, um, was kind of a cool, uh, you know, uh, brother duo in a way, and being being young kids out there racing against against the best guys in the world in another country too. So that it was a very cool experience. Um, and I've worked on race cars my whole life, so it was cool to kind of you know be the be the hot head guy in charge and, and make the calls on a race car. So did that just like understanding the nuts and bolts and how the car works did did that come fast for you did you kind of pick oh like this does this or i can maybe like adjust this and it'll do that or just kind of like the information that you and dom kind of talked to obviously you were 12 uh, yeah. did, did you pick it up fast uh, uh yeah it's a lot obviously but i think uh knowing you know i mean bernie obviously runs any race part so he's busy during the week and, and i have brandon hickman sometimes so i work on the car primarily by myself servicing this thing so um, I think I think learning how a race car works is is the most valuable thing you could have. Right. Um, you know, knowing like you said how the nuts and bolts work and how everything works. Um, you know, because you know I've been fortunate. This car is, is very fast and Bernie's very very smart. But we mm -hmm. don't have a crew, so you know, in, in a way, it's um, it's a blessing and a curse having to work on it. But I love working on race cars and it, it take, gives me time during the week. I actually just graduated high school, so I'm kind of really full on racing That's now. Awesome. So I got I got time to kind of uh, work on stuff and and he's made it very easy for me. So. Um, you know, like you said, it, 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 it did come fast, um, and I love doing it. So. Mm -hmm. so now that we're, like, looking at your 410 sprint car here, how much do you know every nut and bolt on the car and what does what? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, like I said, Bernie owns a parts place, so, um, you know, I see all the latest, greatest stuff that comes out, um, and, and I build these things myself and take, take a lot of pride in, in being organized and having a nice race car, um, you know, being up against obviously the best mechanics in the world, you got to have a nice organized team to to hang with them and, and to be as fast as them. Mm -hmm. So you said you just graduated high school, right? Did, were you taking classes like online? Is that how that worked? Yep. Yeah. For my freshman year, obviously racing kind of got more and more important. I didn't have okay. time to to miss all the school. So yeah, um, uh, just graduated on Clovis online online school. So, are you going to continue? Just like your education? Or? Um, I think it depends how racing goes. Obviously, okay. if I'm you know a couple of years down the road, I'm going nowhere and, and I have a good ride and I'm, my racing career is looking like it's ending, I'll, I'll definitely go to school and kind of take the step to, to say, hey, maybe I'm not cut out for racing and, and uh, I need to go to school and do something else. Obviously, my dad has a very successful business too. So I always have something right. to fall back on okay. um, and, and something to kind of look back to. Okay, so, so it, it seems like this year is pretty big year for you, right? Yeah. It seems like you're taking a gap year from school and yep. just everything and i guess what you do this year is really going to dictate the rest of your career right yeah um, yep, for sure do you think in a sense of okay just i need to do this and this by this stage in my life i need to win this race before i'm 20 do you think in a timeline sense or do you ever think that way um, you know, I think it's funny. Bernie always says, uh, you know, when plans get made, people's feelings get hurt. So, um, you know, if you make a deadline and you don't make it, um, you know, you, you might feel like you failed when maybe you didn't. Um, and last year, obviously, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm so busy at the shop during the week. You don't really have time to, uh, to make plans and make deadlines. Um, you don't have a lot of free time. So, 
Um, you know, obviously, I think uh, you, you race so much in sprint car racing, too. You're racing every weekend, sometimes multiple times a week. So you just go, 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 go. You're wide open all the time. And, and if you're doing a good job and working hard, the results will follow. So uh, how do you decompress as a driver? Um, you know, honestly, working in the shop is very calming for me. I'm working on race cars. So, you know, when, when I'm back in the back of any race mm-hmm. bus by myself with music cranked up and just, just doing my thing, um, it's, it's very relaxing, um, you know, or washing the car or just, just working on race cars. That's really all I do. Uh-huh. Um, other than, you know, play golf a little bit here and there. That's about oh, all, really? all I do. Yeah. What's your um, handicap? <laughs> uh, not great. Maybe a 12 <laughs> or a 15, that's depending on the day. Yeah. I, I can hit the ball around decent, but, um, yeah, definitely my whole life is racing and it's, it's my, you know, my getaway. It's my vacation. It, it's everything. Uh-huh. So, uh, does the grind ever catch up to you? You know, you're, uh, you know, in a way, um, obviously going out, you know, going to dinner with Bernie or whatever, hanging out it, uh, you know, I, um, I'm not on the road a whole lot, obviously. Well, I guess you stay on the road living. I have a house. Mm-hmm. I stay at Indianapolis. Okay. Um, so, you know, very fortunate. Austin Proc, actually, who's a drag racer. I stay at his house. We've known him forever, obviously, family, friends. Um, I'll stay there. It's, it's like a home away from home. So um, it does catch up sometimes. you got to take a day off and just say, you know, it's, it's easy to work, work, work 24 hours and never stop and, right. and never look back and, and just kind of calm down. Um, but, yeah, it, it's Especially easy. since you love this, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it's easy. really love this. Yeah, it's easy to do, for sure. And... I saw you were. Uh, do you have a passion for drawing? I did. Yeah, yeah. I used to draw quite a bit um, in my free time. Draw sprint cars and and draw draw whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, are you maybe not part like graphic designer on the side or? <laughs> you know, I, I never even thought about that. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm you sure know. maybe one day I could be. I try and get involved with the graphics of the race car a little bit. Yeah. But um, you know, it's definitely something I love to do. Just don't. Just kind of you know, lost time, lost interest in doing it. So. I saw a quote on your website, but it was when you were 15. So I guess like two years ago mm-hmm. it said that you want to race in nascar is yeah. is is that still the goal and if so why why yeah. nascar i think uh, obviously the big picture of things making a living racing there's not to, to be on the outlaw tour you got to race 100 times a year and, and go to australia so that's mm-hmm. obviously the best racing best living in sprint car racing um and it's a tough life obviously when you're young you don't have a girlfriend or a family or whatever it's easy to go um right you know go live on the road but um the big scheme of things like a kyle larson or tony stewart or casey kane jeff gordon even um come from dirt racing and and have a have a uh, sprint car, um, you know, um, career, and then go to go to go to uh, NASCAR. You said you had some plans to do some testing this year on pavement. Is that right? So yeah, trying to get some stuff stuff nailed down. Maybe have some plans. Yeah, yeah, to hopefully do in, in the near future. So. Uh, is it a stock late model? Maybe it's like a super late model. Or? Yeah, hopefully like a super late model or something like that. Okay. Um, you know, anything anything to get my feet wet on pavement. I've never raced pavement before, so I try to try to get in the in, the door open to kind of do something like that. Do so. you do like any sim racing? You know, I've never done i racing. Really? I hear I hear how cool it is and how realistic it is, but I've I've never <laughs> I done have it. it. It's yeah, I, really I, cool. I really want to try it. So that's, that, that's cool. So w- when people say you're on the same track as Kyle Larson or like Christopher Bell, uh, or say you are the next Larson or Bell, do you like shut that down? Do you acknowledge it? How do you take that? Um, you know, in a way, obviously, you look up to a lot of these guys around around the race team, and and you know, um, I think being 16, I'm still a kid. You know, 17 now, still a kid. Um, you know, you look up to these guys, but you got to race against them and you got to beat them. So, in a way, that the the fan stage has kind of been skipped in my life. You know, meeting these guys, you, you're racing with them right away and being competitive with them. Um, you know, and being with Kyle, uh, I've been called Kyle Larson. You know, next Kyle <laughs> Larson quite a few times, and you just kind of got to block it out. Obviously, like I said, if you work hard and, and do your job, I think the results will will show. Do you know Kyle well? Uh, yeah, actually, um, the whole 57 Paul Silva thing right. kind of got set up with Kyle. He was the very big influencer on that. Um, and it, it didn't work out, but obviously there's no hard feelings there. Just just personalities didn't match, um, and, and, and success was not there. 
um, with Priority Aviation, too, was on board the Clawson, Clawson, or the Marshall team, sorry. Uh, uh, Richard and Jennifer Marshall put some money behind it, and like I said, we just struggled, and, and everything ended on good terms. Just, uh, you know, I think that, w- that was a, uh, a big life lesson in, 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 my, uh, in my life, kind of uh, being very set on something to work, and, and it completely blowing up in my face, um, and having a good, uh, good operation that just, just didn't work. So, before we let you go here, who's your hero? What's a hardship that's made you into the person you are now, and what's what's your greatest highlight? I would have to say my brother, to my brother, and my dad definitely my heroes. How hard they work and how dedicated they are to to racing. Um, you know, both both of them. You know, as as people, like I said, and and in racing and in business too. Um, probably the biggest accomplishment is either uh, national open here or winning in, in Avalon in Australia um, in Victoria. That w- that was pretty cool to win out of the country. Okay. That was definitely on the bucket list to win in another country. Um, and a hardship, I would say definitely the Paul Silva thing, um, you know, kind of being hyped up and say, you know, this kid's next Larson and, and, and being in Kyle Larson's car <laughs> right. and then absolutely being terrible, um, you know, just not making shows and, and struggling and crashing and just um, it was a very, uh, very, uh, I don't know what you call it, um, a testing time for me um, to see if I really wanted to race sprint cars and if I, if I really truly believed in myself and thought I was good enough to, uh, to do it. What changed just since... Um, you know, I, I think, uh, how did you like rebound from that? Obviously, you know, I think I, uh, I raced Paul Silva's car at Watsonville Friday night, um, crashed, sucked, quit, uh, ran second the next night in my dad's car, which was kind of cool as a 360 race, but I okay. um, ran second to my brother. Um, and then the weekend after went to Mansfield, hundred thousand dollars to win and was running fourth in Bernie's car and uh, broke a, broke a birdcage. So. That kind of showed me that I think we ran third the prelim night and fourth on the on, or we're running fourth and then uh, broke a birdcage. So that kind of showed, hey, maybe I am good enough to do this. Maybe I, I I can do this. And and then after that, you know, trying to get everything organized here and working and being be, becoming closer with Bernie. He's I've said many times he pulled me from the rubble with an unsuccessful race team like that mm-hmm. and gave me the the best shot of my career. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow, that's awesome, man. You are one well-spoken 17-year-old. I thought I was young as a 23-year-old, and here you are as a 17-year-old. This this well-spoken, uh, really talented race car driver seems like you are a really good mechanic too. So really like appreciate the time, Gio, yeah. and wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season. Anytime. Thanks for having me. One thing that stood out to me about my conversation with Gio was just how he was describing uh, his backup plan in, in case of if his path as a race car driver doesn't necessarily pan out the way that he hopes it will be. And uh, he is a sound mechanic from what it sounds like. And that is his backup plan is working on race cars. If if this whole racing, this whole race car deal, this whole race driver deal uh, doesn't work out and like he shared nascar is the goal it's not particularly 410 sprints it's not racing full-time on the word of outlaws tour it's not drag racing like his dad uh it's nascar he, he wants to make it as far as he can in nascar and he's trying to follow in the footsteps of kyle larson and christopher bell jeff gordon and tony stewart and those are some those are some drivers who uh have definitely uh blazed some pretty wide trails uh and you're seeing this more often nowadays too uh alex bowman grew up racing midgets uh casey kane uh i believe justin algar did as well uh chase briscoe uh so you see you're seeing this open wheel dirt midget sprint car path being taken 
pretty frequently nowadays. I f- I feel like in in terms of in terms of drivers who want to work their way up from the midget ranks, from the sprint car ranks to the stock car world, to uh, to NASCAR. So, but Gio Selzy definitely has the talent. He has the personality. Uh, he has the overall knowledge and and the bandwidth to understand the cars and how everything functions and works and the logistics and what goes in behind the scenes. But like we talked about and like he said, uh, he, he has a backup plan. Backup plan uh, is being a mechanic, is, is working on race cars. Uh, he also mentioned the fact that he could go, go back to school if being a race car driver doesn't work out the way that he hopes it will, as he should. He should shoot for the stars and aim big. Now, he has never raced on asphalt before, so and that could go a multitude of ways. Obviously, he has the talent, like we've talked about. He is on the same path as Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, like we've talked about. But then on the other side of that, you have guys like Brad Sweet. And then even though these are more prominent late model drivers, uh, Tim McCready and Josh Richards, who tried to... So Sweet, Richards, and McCready, they tried to break their way into the NASCAR world uh, onto the stock car scene, and that didn't really work out for those three. And those three drivers had their separate reasons. Sweet, uh, things didn't work out for him. Sponsorship didn't fall his way, and he didn't really like the culture and the lifestyle that came with racing and NASCAR. For Josh Richards, I believe he just didn't have enough funding, didn't have enough sponsorship, and uh, didn't quite honestly perform as well as he needed to be in the Kyle Busch Motorsports Truck Series entry. And then Tim McCready uh, had had his moments with Richard Childers Racing, but for some reason, and, and I don't know that reason in particular right now, but it just didn't work out for him. So you have examples like Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell and Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart, Chase Briscoe, uh, who have found a way from the open-wheel dirt racing scene to NASCAR. Uh, but then on the other side of that too, like we said, you know, Brad Sweet tried the same path, didn't work out for him, and he and he didn't like it. Let's put it that way, he didn't like it. That was his goal, just like Geo Selzy was, a young kid from California, had a bunch of success uh, on the open wheel dirt scene, and but he wanted to race in NASCAR. Brad Sweet back then had the same mindset as Geo Selzy now, but um, the kid definitely has talent for sure, and he knows what he wants. He knows what he wants. He has talent. He has the people around him. He has the the resources. He has everything going for him right now in this moment, which is all that matters for him. And, and he's performing. So more performances like his win last Friday night in Charlotte with the World of Outlaws, with NASCAR in town, by the way, because that was uh, the all-star race leading up to the Coca-Cola 600 that weekend. And Geo Selzy definitely put on a show in front of the NASCAR crowd. So if he strings together more performances like that, then certainly he will get his opportunities. And we uh, we have to understand that there are two sides to how uh, his racing career could play out. And I'm sure he is certainly aware of that. Uh, he's a very smart kid. Definitely knows what he wants. Well, that's all we have for the show here today. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, feel free to email me at kfad32 at gmail.com. That is kfadd32 at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Motorsports Dig. Follow Turn 5 Turnaround on Twitter at Turn 5 Turnaround. Like Turn 5 Turnaround on Facebook. And if you like what you hear, make sure to rate us five stars on our hosting platforms and leave a review. 
if you want to uh, kind of share your knowledge with the general public on our podcasting platforms. That'll do it here today. Make sure to, to check back here uh, for future episodes this weekend. And like always, just keep digging.